0: This is The Creator Revealed,
1: a production of 3ABN Television.
0: Welcome to The Creator Revealed. I'm Tim Standish. I'm a scientist. And being a scientist, I was taught not to believe in the Creator. But when we look at the creation, we not only come to the conclusion that there is a Creator behind it all, but it tells us the most fascinating things about His nature, His personality, if you will.
2: Absolutely. You know, that's what Paul wrote to the, to the Romans that in Romans 120. He says that God's invisible attributes are seen in the things that he made. And we're so glad you're joining us today. This is already becoming a very popular program. In our first segment, you're going to get just a little bit of science and in the second segment, we'll be giving you a practical application. And I'm just very thrilled. What are we talking about? We're today? talking
0: about relationships, relationships between organisms and their environment and relationships between one kind of organism and another kind of organism. All right.
2: I'm when ready we, to learn.
0: All right. Then. I, I I love this this topic because it. It, 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 it tells us so many beautiful things about not only ourselves, but also God who created us. This photograph I took one day on the, on the campus of Loma Linda University. These poppies are such beautiful flowers. And it's fascinating to watch the bees uh, buzzing around them. The thing that struck me um, when I was looking at these, was these two organisms are working together. Yes. They are not in some kind of struggle to the death with one another. Right. Everything is cooperative
2: there. Makes sense,
0: yes. Yeah. And it got me thinking about what the... Not only cooperative,
2: but dependent, really.
0: Interdependent. They yes. are interdependent. Yes, the bee gets obviously sugar, ultimately, right. from the flower, and the flower is pollinated by the bees. So there is, there's a nice trade-off here. Both of them are benefiting in a beautiful way. So uh, as a biologist, I you know started thinking about things because one of the things that I was taught over the course of my education was that a central principle of life is competition. Mm -hmm. Competition, not cooperation. So organisms are in this kind of struggle to the death. The survival of the the fittest. That's right, the survival of the fittest. But in reality, I started to think about, in reality, could life even exist if that was really the principle? When we look at living things, we see cooperation, interdependence, all over the place. When it comes to bees, let's say, um, how do you how do you get a bee? Where does a bee come from? What how does a bee exist? There's a relationship between bees and their environment, obviously. Without without air, the bee wouldn't be able to fly. Without atoms to be made out of, the bee couldn't exist. Um, Really, in my thinking, it sort of walked me all the way back to the universe. Without a universe, the bee couldn't exist. But the universe has to be a just right universe. There are all kinds of factors that have to be just precisely right if you want to get a bee or a poppy or a human or a puppy.
2: (laughs) You (laughs) mean just to sustain life when you're talking about all these factors? To sustain life, we've got Mars that they're saying, you know, perhaps they're learning a little more, but we are a planet on which everything comes together perfectly to sustain it.
0: Oh yes, this planet is a very, very special planet. That's becoming quite obvious yes. from the study of these uh, planets that they're finding out there in space. Ours is special. It's a very special planet. There's no doubt about that. But I'm going bigger than the planet. Okay. I'm going the whole universe. Mm-hmm. The whole universe operates by laws. And we're not going to talk about all of them. Don't panic. But let's talk about <laughs> one of them, gravity. Because yes. gravity is something that we all understand. It turns out that gravity is just right so that our sun can exist. Our sun is actually a great big hydrogen bomb up in the sky. It's, it's, it's made out of primarily hydrogen and gravity pulls that hydrogen together so that in the center of the Sun the pressure is so high that the hydrogens are fusing together and when they do that they release enormous amounts of energy and that's what's going on up there. That's interesting. It's just right. If, if gravity was a bit stronger, you would think, well, that might be good because we could um, somehow or other have a hotter sun or something. There'd be more nuclear fusion going on there. But the problem is that if we sped up that fusion, so much energy would be coming off the sun burn up that we would burn up. Not only that the orbit of the Earth would change. The Earth would have to uh, be adjusted in many, many different ways, but there probably isn't a way of adjusting things so that life could possibly exist. If it was stronger, the Earth would be orbiting closer. We'd actually have to rearrange things and put the Earth a long way away. But it's not just the amount of radiation, light coming off. It's also the kind of light Um, there's certain kinds of light like x-rays we don't see it but we know that those can do a lot of damage to us Mm -hmm. Uh, so that would be a problem as well. Getting everything to work with stronger gravity might well be and probably is impossible for life to exist. So what would happen if we made it a little bit weaker? What if we made it um, so that the fusion is not going on so rapidly inside the sun. Well, then the sun would be too cold and we wouldn't have enough light energy hitting the earth. The earth would freeze. Ice there age. Wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> we'd, we'd be in a permanent ice age. And again, the bee couldn't exist. And neither could the flower, neither could the human being, neither could the elephant. No life could exist if gravity wasn't just right.
2: That's amazing. Yeah.
0: So, bear in mind, yeah, it takes a universe <laughs> to make a bee. Um, this is just one of many things that need to be just exactly right. So, that's a relationship thing. For the relationship to exist between life and the rest of the physical universe, things have to be just right. We've got to get them exactly perfect. Now, let's get back to this business of how organisms relate to one another. Charles Darwin wrote about that. And here is what he thought. This is in The Origin of Species, his his most famous book. He wrote, it is the most closely allied forms, varieties of the same species, and species of the same genus or related genera, which from having nearly the same structure, constitution and habits, generally come into the severest competition with each other. Consequently, each new variety or species, during the progress of its formation, will generally press hardest on its nearest kindred, and tend to exterminate them. Um, that's a solemn thought, isn't it? You can it see, is. by the way, you can see, you can see why it is that people regularly take this kind of thinking, and Charles Darwin also spells it out quite clearly and apply it to human beings and say, well, there are other human beings who need to be exterminated um, because we're in competition with them. Mm-hmm. And that is, that, that's not um, a hypothetical situation. That is something that has been acted on over the course of history. Um, but think about it. The most closely related are the ones that are in the severest competition, according to this way of thinking. There is no competition, sorry, no cooperation there is, uh, that, that, that's a coincidental thing that, you know, whatever, but the rule is competition. The rule is struggle. The rule is survival of the fittest and, in and that particular way of thinking. You see that
2: in some ways, like in a, a lion, pri- uh, in a pride where the, mm-hmm. the dominant male will kill his. Cubs or something like this. So there's sometimes that, yeah. if you look at that in that isolated incident, that may be true, but not overall. Well, here's the
0: interesting thing about something like that. Don't you don't you viscerally respond to a situation oh, like yes. that? Absolutely. Isn't it awful? Isn't yes. it a terrible thing? Haven't we all seen um, nature programs where lions are not just killing each other; they're killing. All gazelle, these other gazelles, or, yeah. and, and the gazelles are beautiful creatures. Why is it that we know that there is something wrong about that?
2: Yeah, they're good
0: well, point. The, the secret is actually, it's not, it's not a secret, it's, it's, it's stated quite plainly in the Bible. We know that that is wrong. We know that's wrong because that wasn't God's plan. Yes. God did not create lions to tear gazelles to pieces and eat them. This is the fall. This is the result of sin.
2: And, and the good news is, in the new earth, the lion and the gazelle will lie down together.
0: Exactly. So let's look at another example of cooperation okay. that's evident there in nature. Uh, fungi. We usually don't think of funguses as doing anything other than breaking down dead stuff. Mm-hmm. But in fact, they play a very important role in nature. Um, they also taste good if you eat mushrooms. <laughs> but uh, when you see a mushroom, what you're seeing is really the tip of the iceberg. So let's go, let's go way back to the very beginning with mushrooms. And we need to start looking at the tips of roots. These could be tree roots or any other plant root. What you commonly find there, way out at the root tips, is that there are things called microhizae that are growing into the root tips. Those are fungi. When you look at a huh. mushroom, that's the tip of the iceberg. The rest of the, the organism is this hair-like structure this, um, the, the, that's growing down there in the soil that's into, the, into the roots of plants. And people thought, oh, those must be parasites stealing stuff from these poor plants. In fact, the opposite is true. When we start looking at what the, um, what the plant gets from these fungi, it's quite amazing. First of all, they get water. And obviously, water is very important for plants. It increases the size of their root system, the surface area, so they can absorb water, pass it on to the plant. In addition to that, the fungi help to absorb um, minerals that the plants need to grow. And they give protection to the plant. They stop other things that might come in and want to eat the plant. Or, And, and finally, and this is one of the most amazing things, they actually have a communication system that they use from one plant to another through these micro rhizae.
2: I see (laughs) fungus all the time at the root, or at the base of our oak trees. Mm. Didn't realize they were doing the trees some good.
0: Quite possibly they are. It depends, obviously. If the tree is dying, the fungi will help to break it down and recycle it. But when everything's alive and thriving, it's great. So what does the fungus get? It gets sugar from the plant and... uh, and that's mostly it. But <laughs> so,
2: they are interdependent. So
0: important. they are interdependent. This is a, this is a an exchange that they're making. This brings to mind this text in Proverbs. There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a young woman. So all relationships. All relationships. The bird and the air, the the man and the woman, cooperating, working together. So what does this ultimately tell us about the Creator? The Creator loves these Beautiful relationships, relationships between bees and flowers, those sorts of things. He, he gets joy from these cooperative relationships that we see in ecology. And his desire for cooperation with humans and the rest of creation is evident in the interdependence. We see among all things the living part of the universe and the inanimate uh, universe. So ultimately, the created things reveal the creator's desire for harmonious relationships.
2: And that is exactly what we want to talk about in the second segment. So we ask you to stay tuned with us. We'll be back in 60 seconds.
1: Welcome to the minute that makes a difference. I'm Margot Marshall. What difference would it make if you exercised regularly? It could make the difference between life and death. According to the World Health Organisation, physical inactivity causes an estimated 3.2 million deaths globally and has been identified as the fourth leading risk factor for global mortality. Action is the law of our being. Activities like walking, cycling, swimming and gym workouts are great But don't overlook things like useful labour and gardening, which also provide a sense of accomplishment. Interestingly, taking care of that beautiful garden in Eden was the creator's number one choice of physical activity for our first parents. So protect your health by enjoying regular physical activity. It makes a difference.
2: Welcome back to The Creator Reveal. Today, we've been talking about the beautiful relationships that exist between God's creatures and plants and organisms and ecology, and we see that it isn't all about struggle and competition, is it?
0: No. Actually, I would say um, my observation is that life itself could not exist unless there was this beautiful cooperation that we observe between interdependent organisms. And in fact, I find that myself to be possibly or arguably the most beautiful thing about the creation. Everything seems to need to work together in a beautiful way for life itself to exist.
2: Ooh, there's a sermon in that. <laughs> there <laughs> I mean, that's probably what is. God wants well, from us. On isn't the it?
0: subject of sermons. Um, uh, during the break, we were talking about how you know people have this idea that somehow or other, people with PhDs in theology are stuffy and things <laughs> like that. But we're 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 just delighted right now to have Dr. Joanne Davidson with us. Somebody who is definitely not stuffy. Uh, Dr. Davidson is a professor of systematic theology at the at the. Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary at my alma mater, Andrews University. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Davidson.
3: Oh, I'm glad to be invited when you talk about this subject. It's (laughs) one of my favorites. (laughs) Exactly.
0: I mean, who doesn't love ecology, especially (laughs) when we're coming at it from the perspective that the Bible gives us on, on nature and the creation?
3: And I, I like that you talked about how this cooperation must be there. I mean, it's there, and, wh- and you as a biologist could have added down to the cellular level, oh even what's in goodness. cell works together, how individual cells have parts that work together, cells work together, and it just, no matter where you look, there's this wonderful cooperation. And And
0: interestingly enough, we as human beings, we instinctively know that there is something wrong going on when we see a breakdown of that cooperation. Things like cancer, that's a breakdown yes. of cooperation between cells. Um, and, and, and I believe we naturally wince when we see these sort of terrible things yes. that do occasionally occur in nature, like lions killing gazelles and stuff. We know in our hearts that that's just not the way it's supposed mm. to be. Um, the creation is, is broken in some profound way.
3: Oh, yes. And you know, when people think about heaven, they think about golden streets and playing harps on a cloud. But when God describes heaven in Isaiah 11, he describes all of this uh, cruelty being erased away. The lion's going to lie down with the lamb and the Goat with the leopard, and a little kid can put his hand in a cobra's hole, and and then it says the reason why this is going to happen is because the world will be full of the knowledge of God, Amen. as the waters cover the sea, and so God is looking forward to this day too. He, I someday his dreams for this planet are going to come true, it's and he's looking a,
0: for. It's such a glorious thing, but it's and it's not just that these are kind of empty unfounded promises or something that we that we see in, in in out there these are things that we can see foreshadowings of already in the creation as we look at these beautiful cooperative relationships and even occasionally we see beautiful things between human beings and creatures <laughs> that you wouldn't expect I, I think about those occasional stories that you hear about lions that bond in some way with human beings and it's such a such a don't know. It. It's yes. a heartwarming and yes. beautiful thing to see. However, there is an argument that, that I've heard made that goes basically like this. If Jesus is coming again, if there's going to be a new creation, and if this old creation is broken, why, why should we care about it? Why Why worry about taking care of nature at all and, um, you know, being conservationists or something like that? This earth is going to be destroyed by fire when Jesus comes. Why should we worry about, about it?
3: Oh, that's, that's a question I hear so much. But I, I'm thinking then that people aren't aware of the message of Scripture mm-hmm. because... Before sin, Adam and Eve were given a job to tend and to care for the garden. And there wasn't, a, that was a privilege and a joy. And why aren't we thinking we need to work with that special instruction even now, even though things are broken? Why aren't we thinking of caring and tending for this great place that God made? I find it interesting in Psalm 98 and other places, but it's very clear in Psalm 98 all nature. It says the rivers are clapping their hands. The hills are joyful together and all nature is rejoicing. And then it gives the reason why it says, because God is going to come to judge the world and judge the earth and the peoples with equity. And it includes both the earth and the peoples that God's going to judge. And he's going to hold us responsible for not caring for this great place. That that he gave us in the book of Revelation, as the Bible closes, I see I think it refers back to that because in Revelation 7, it talks about the angels holding back the winds of strife from the earth and the sea and the trees. But and finally, the the elders around the throne say, but it's time that you destroy those who destroy the earth and heaven is watching and seeing if we appreciate this great nest that God has given us. Don't you think that part of the reason,
2: Dr. Davidson, that God gave us, when he gave us dominion, we were to learn to rule in covenantal love as he does with us, it was all about our character development, don't you think?
3: Oh, yes. And if we're created in God's image, we should think it'd be a natural thing that we want to reflect, uh, reflect God's loving concern for this earth like he does. I mean, that's what partly means to be created in his image.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, in in thinking about this myself, um, what uh, the the analogy that I would draw is something like this. You know, um, if you go to the Louvre in Paris, um, there, there are lots of fabulous works of art there, but the Venus de Milo is there. Now, when you think about it, the Venus de Milo is an old, broken <laughs> um, statue, right? Mm-hmm. But it is still so fabulously beautiful. If I went into the Louvre with a hammer and smashed the Venus de Milo to pieces, I mean, wouldn't any reasonable, rational person, anybody with a soul be horrified yes. at that? And yet... We, you know, so it's up. surely if, if we go and and just destroy this wonderful work of art that God created, it, it says something profoundly evil about ourselves. There's something wrong with, with us if we if we actually feel that that's OK.
3: And, you know, I I think the ancients were more in tune to creation than we are. I love that passage in Job, the oldest book in the Bible, where Job says the animals, if you watch, will teach you and they'll help you learn about God. And I think that I think that's really important. If we if we turn away and don't care for this earth, we're going to lose a lot of lessons that God is trying to show us how wonderful he is and and what he's given us. There nature itself praises God and it can teach us how wonderful the creator is.
0: So, as a theologian, as, and, and obviously a, a lover of nature itself, tell me this, in, from, from your perspective, what do, you, what do you see out there that you consider to be the most beautiful thing, the, the, the thing that teaches us the most about God and, and His nature?
3: I heard one uh, person describe it this way, which I've taken to be my own, that said, every animal can teach us a character quality that God wants us to have. Mm. And we can't look at each other anymore, we can't see Jesus, but every animal displays some character quality God wants us to have. And at that time we had a beloved dog who's recently died, but you know dogs can show you what forgiveness mm. is like. They never hold a grudge, they never hold a grudge. And they, they always want to be with you and, and are always having a forgiving spirit. And, no matter, and I, I got to thinking about that, What 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 qualities do animals display that God wants me to have? You know, you and- know
0: when, when you said that, my initial thought was, oh, no, that's ridiculous. Insects. What? Can-? And then I thought, go to the ant, thou sluggard. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So it's there. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yes, that's, that's a really deep point.
3: And, and my, my favorite Old Testament description of this is in First Kings 4, when it talks about Solomon being the wisest man in the earth, mm. and that people from all around the world came to see, hear, listen to Solomon's wisdom. And then it says what he talked about. It says he talked about trees, about flowers, about the animals, and, and people came from all around the world to learn the wisdom of Solomon. And what does he talk about? The wonders of creation.
0: There we Amen. go. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Davidson. I could talk about these things probably for the rest of my life. It is a wonderful topic.
2: You know what thought occurred to me is after Jesus did the miracle with the fish and the loaves, he told his disciples to gather together the, rem- the remnants of what was left. Yeah. He never wasted anything. And if we waste our resources that God has given us, if we aren't taking good care of it, I think we're not following in the footsteps of Jesus.
0: I have to agree with you. you know, there's something ugly about wanton wastefulness and something beautiful, actually, about conserving what God has given to us in such unbelievable abundance in this world. I, I'm just amazed at the gratuitous beauty, these glorious relationships and, and just the abundance of resources that we have to support our lives and the lives of other creatures. And that's, that's something that we need to keep in mind. It's not just for us. It's for everything.
2: Remember, the first angel's message says, worship the creator. When we worship God in the beauty of his holiness, we will be appreciating what he has done for us. Thank you for joining us.
0: been listening to The Creator Revealed, a production of 3ABN Television.